The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Good, let's pray. We're going to get in the Word and... uh... Just pray that God just continues to deepen our knowledge of his love. We're on a series right now, Rooted in Love. And, uh, you know, you may say, well, when are you going to stop talking about this? When are you going to stop talking about love? Well, my question is, when are you going to stop doubting it? Think about it for a minute. When are you going to stop doubting it? It's one thing to say, man, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. There's another thing to really understand and accept and to live in the awareness and the acceptance of his love, and we're going to dive deeper into it today and keep talking about it, because I believe that this is the foundational truth that God wants us to have. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I pray as we dive in today that there will be, Lord, just a a Holy Spirit focus, Lord, that we would be able to, Lord, focus on your word, Lord, with all of our mind, all of our heart, and all of our strength, God, that we would be fully present, Lord, because you are fully present. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, question... To start this off is, when will you be happy? Giving you a second to think about some of these. I I don't want you to dismiss them too fast. I go, I'm happy right now. Just stop, because I'm going to clarify. But when will you be happy, and when will you be at rest? When will you, as a person, be happy and at rest. I know a lot of times we have all these ideas of when we'll be happy, when we'll be at rest. It's like, well, if I can accomplish this, if I can do this, if that person will notice me, if that person will forgive me, if this relationship can be fixed, if I can lose this many pounds, if I can fill in the blank. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be ready. If I get that promotion, if I get this much money put in the bank, if I pay off this debt, right, then I'll be happy. <sighs> then I can rest. Then everything will be okay. You ever had things in your mind like that where you kind of set them out there and you're like, boy, if only this would, once I get here, oh, if I can only get my parents to understand me, if I could only get this kid straightened out, if I could only get, if this, I'm this close, I'm just this close to being happy and being at rest. I'm always like right there, right there. What are those things in your life? What are those things in your mind Think about them for a second. Just hold on to them. Don't have to run from them. Just think about them. We all have some. Matthew 22, 36 to 37, they asked Jesus, which commandment is the greatest in the law? And Jesus declared, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. That's a pretty thorough type of love, right? So here's another question to think about. When everything stops and you're totally still and you're in total silence, what comes to your mind? When the TV's off, when nobody's around, when the kids are in bed, when the spouse is gone, when there's no alcohol, when you're not calming your nerves with nicotine or whatever else is going on, when it's just you, your phone's off, there's no social media, there's no internet, there's nothing, when it's just 
you. That's it. Nothing else. Where does your mind go? What do you start thinking about? What starts to come up in your heart? Because we're talking about loving the Lord our God with all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our strength, right? That is all of it. When everything else settles, it's what's left. What's there? So what are you afraid of? A lot of times we're busy, busy, busy because we're afraid to be still. We don't let the water settle because we don't like the reflection that appears once it's totally still. And so we're always busy. We're always active. There's always something going on. I got to turn the radio on. I got to turn this on. I got to have something going on. What is it for you? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of not fitting in? Afraid of being alone? Maybe disappointing someone? Not being wanted? Failing as a parent? Got to always be doing something. I've got to always be parenting. <laughs> always, all the time, every second, because I don't want to fail. I don't want to blow it. Losing your marriage? Or your relationships? Not having enough money? I'm done working, but I can't stop thinking about working because I'm probably not going to have enough money, even though I have enough right now. But I probably won't have enough tomorrow. Who knows what could happen? What is it that your mind goes to? What do you think about? What starts to invade your space and your peace when everything else stops? Getting sick? Dying? Health? The world around you, government, other people, their opinions, their views, culture. Like what comes on your mind and you're just trying to just be still but just can't turn it off? It just keeps vibrating. That kind of that tone just keeps, just keeps going. Because the studies show it's like over 70% of adults deal with some type of consistent, persistent anxiety and stress. And the reason that so many things are so popular and people are so busy, whether that's in drugs, alcohol, entertainment, adventure, you name it. Sometimes it's because things are fun, but a lot of times people can't even stop and be still. What would we do? I don't know, but it makes me nervous. I'm not talking about chilling with the TV on or chilling with a game on or chilling with something on. I'm talking about silence, stillness, waiting, nothing else going on. What about missing the mark? Anybody ever deal with thoughts of, am I missing the mark? I'm not doing enough. I'm not qualified. Somehow I, 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 I should have been, I could have been, I would have been, but somehow I'm... Ah, I fell short. I didn't quite make it. I didn't quite get there. I didn't make the right team at school. I didn't fit in with the right crowd. I didn't get noticed enough. I didn't get enough likes on my media. I didn't get enough, whatever the case might be, I'm not as pretty as that person. I didn't look quite like that person. I didn't, I just missed the mark by a little. Putting all this time, energy, and effort, but I'm just going to miss the mark. I mean, why do we put filters on almost every photo online? I want to miss the mark. When I was in real estate years ago, there was a lady, she had her real estate signs, and she had her picture on them, and her picture was like 40 years old. 
And it wasn't that the signs were 40 years old. She just always got them remade with her picture from when she was like 25. And she's like 60-something. And so when the person comes up and they show up at your house to like fill out the contract and they walk in the door, you're like, well, where's the owner? Oh, I am the owner. But not wanting to update the photo, not wanting to somehow not present as well, not show as well. Right? This is a struggle in our culture, in our society. But only because it's a struggle in individuals, in our own selves. Otherwise, society would have no power, no culture would have no power to affect that. It has to come from first from within. Are you afraid of not being enough? Daniel chapter 5, 23 to 28. This is about a king, Belshazzar. And Daniel comes in and he says, but you failed to glorify God. Now, I want you to listen to this because I'm going to explain it in how we operate as people and what maybe God would show us out of it. But you have failed to glorify God who holds in his hand your very breath and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote this inscription. This is the inscription that was written. So here you have a king, right? He's risen to the highest point of power and authority and accomplishment in the land. And yet, here is someone telling him, do you know what? You failed to glorify God. You failed to hit the mark. You failed to do what you should have done. How many times do you turn on the news and you see that somebody who's reached the top of their profession, the top of their entertainment industry, the top of whatever they're in, and all of a sudden they're checking into rehab because their whole life is a wreck and falling apart, their family's broken, or they committed suicide because even though they were reaching the top, somehow they failed to, to make it. They failed to hit the mark. They failed to find what they were looking for. They failed to bring God glory through their life. It's not the accomplishment. It's not what we reach. It's not what we get. But here's the inscription that was written on the wall. It's Mene Mene Tekel Parson. Ooh, memorize that and go around saying it to people. Just point at them and say it. Right? What are you talking about? Oh, you should know what I'm talking about. But Mene means that God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. So here's the king. He's in authority. He's in power. He's trying to just measure up. His dad was a great king. He's trying to measure up to his dad's life. He's trying to do all these things. And here he is, and somebody comes in and says, do you know what? Your reign's going to be cut down. Your days are numbered. It's almost over. You ever feel like even when things are going good that it's probably not going to last? Anybody ever feel that way? It's like, do you know what, man? If things would just go good, but then they get going good, and you're like, oh, my goodness. How do I keep it here? I'm not sure why it's going better now. I don't know if I can sustain this. There's a fear that comes into our heart as humans that says, you know what, even when it's going well, it's probably not going to last. Something's going to happen. Something's going to go wrong. It's going to all crash and end badly. The next thing that he says is to kill, which means that you've been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Anybody in here ever feel like somehow you're weighed on the scales of life and you just are deficient? Man, I'm just deficient. Not comparing myself to other pastors or ministers and they got a better, they got a better suit. They got a better following. They got a better whatever. Man, I'm deficient. Somehow I messed up. 
boy, I look at that mom and how she takes care of her kids and can do all these things. And wow, you know, I'm just deficient. Well, I look at that person and what they can accomplish with their business and their job, and I'm just, just feel like, ah, oh. the person gets in their Bible and they read and they know God, and it seems like they always have a word and they're helping people. And there's me, and I wake up, and my first thought isn't, oh, praise God, this is the day the Lord has made, but it's, oh my gosh, another day. Look at everything I got to do, and I'm stressed out. And there's this weighing in the balance, and it's like, oh, so now I feel deficient. That's part of why people struggle so much, and they're always putting out good information. It's like we're constantly our own PR campaign. We're always putting out the best just to make sure that nobody would ever see that maybe we are deficient. Maybe we're missing. Maybe something's falling short. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. You ever feel like someone else is going to get your credit? Somebody else is going to get your Benefits of your hard work, somebody else, everything you've done, somebody else is going to get it. All three of these have something in common. All three of these have this underlying feeling that I'm not going to make it. I'm not good enough. I'm not valuable enough. I can't do it. I have to strive. I have to do more. I have to somehow measure up. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to do that. It's exhausting to try to always get to the next level, to try to make it to the next thing, to try to have enough money in the bank, to try to have a big enough business, to try to have a good enough kid, to try to be a good enough husband, to try to, all the things that we do, it's like, oh, more and more. And you wake up the next day, and it's like, it starts over. Got to do it again. When will it be enough? When will it be enough? I'm going to give you a shocking thought. What will happen when you die? If you went out today and prayed to the Lord that you got a long life of God's hope and glory in front of you and purpose and destiny, but if you walked out the door today, for some reason, you passed away, what would happen the next day? The next week? The next month? The next year? Life would keep going on. You realize that? For all the striving, all the work, all the effort, all the measuring up, whenever we pass away, guess what will happen? The world will keep on turning. Which just tells you that the value of life can't come from what we do and accomplish because only a few years after you're gone, most people won't remember what you did or accomplished. They won't remember what I did or accomplished. There's been great leaders, great churches, great, you know, I can say Billy Graham to most, a lot of people now, they're younger than me and they won't even know who it is. Who? Is he a singer? He used to, he used to ride with presidents, preach to stadiums, saw many, many people come to know Jesus. A lot of people wouldn't even know who he is now. And that would just get farther and farther in distant memory. So all the striving, all the work, all the trying to measure up to get value. At the end of the day, it's not where value comes from. It doesn't last. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not made 
perfected in love. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of self-control. There is this anxiety that comes up when we try to measure up. And it leaves us short. And then we're always trying to fill that gap. Say, well, but, but if I can just get a little farther. And I'm sticking on this a little while this morning because I want you to soak in it for just a second and think about it. Because if you keep chasing your tail, the only thing you're going to get is tired. That's it. You won't ever catch it. It's a trick. It's not real. That's not where hope is found. Are you too busy making your mark to carry his? Sometimes we're so busy trying to make our mark and measure up that we are going too fast to just carry his mark. Well, what's his mark? Well, the disciples had this problem. Mark 10, 37, the disciples started arguing. They're, they're actually... With Jesus, who's going around healing the sick, raising the dead, doing all these things, are with him. And their conversation on the side is, hey, once we get to heaven, who gets to sit on your right hand? They're too busy trying to make their mark to be bothered with carrying his. And what was his? His was love and service to those who were in need, those who were struggling. It wasn't about self. It was about serving about loving other people. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom. And so he came for that, and yet the people walking with him were so busy trying to say, how do I fit into this, and how do I measure up to this, and how do I get, that they completely missed it, and he turns and they're arguing over who gets to be the one with the best position. Well, if we'd never do that, that's foolish. It's never quite that obvious but if we slow down and we let everything settle and we let it be quiet and we let our own heart kind of come forward, a lot of times we can see, you know what, there is something that I just keep striving to try to prove, try to make, try to do, try to show. And it's really the same spirit. So this also happened with Martha. Here they're at a dinner and Jesus is there hanging out. And guess what Martha's doing? My wife would say exactly what needed to be done. That's fine that Mary could just sit there at his feet and hang out. It's because Martha was doing all the work. Who knows? Maybe they called uh, Donkey Dash and got their food that way. Maybe they didn't need her working. They said their food come along, somebody brought it in. Could have been. All that we know is that Jesus looked at it and Martha got mad and says, can you tell her to get up and help me? And Jesus says, she has chosen the better thing. The better thing? She was just sitting there. <laughs> she was just sitting there, Jesus. Like, just sitting there. And you might think once you leave, she plans on getting up and helping, but no. That's not true. Once you leave, she's just going to go in the other room and sit there and think about all the stuff that she's listening to you say. She's not going to help. Martha was busy trying to make her mark. Mary was busy trying to carry his, trying to receive his, understand his love, understand relationship, understand connection. 
She had to slow down. She had to stop. She had to wait. That can be so uncomfortable. For me, if I sit in the quiet, man, it, gets, it can be so uncomfortable. If I don't have the radio on, I don't have something on, I don't have to, all of these thoughts can start to bombard of ways that I could fail, ways that this church could fail, all kinds of stuff. I mean, I literally was brought to the church in the back of a car, passed out drunk at three in the morning. I had a messed up mind as an alcoholic. I had issues internally, emotionally from being abused as a five-year-old. I had all this stuff going on, and God brought me to the church. And I was riding to church today. I'm preparing for the message. I'm praying. I'm thinking. I'm like, Lord, I'm listening to your message. Lord, help me. And I started crying in my car on the way here this morning. Because it still is hard for me to grasp and understand sometimes that I'm standing here instead of being passed out somewhere there. Because the grace of God is still real. It still saved me. It still sustains me. It's still going before me to take me where I'm going. And when I let it all be still, the first thing that comes, the wave that comes sometimes in emotions and in mindset is, you, it shouldn't be you. You screw up. You messed up. and how, It's going to blow up. Breathe. Wait just a little longer for the first wave to pass so that his wave can come in. Wait for the storm wave to cross over so Jesus can come up out of the bottom of your boat and tell it to be still, and then he can begin to speak to you. But you got to be still long enough. I sit and be still, and those first waves can come over, and I stop. And I'm like, no, Lord, what do you have to say? And that's why I start crying. You start saying, man, I saw you. I loved you. I came and got you because I wanted you. And I still do. But you got to be still long enough to deal with the other stuff coming up and then not run from it, but breathe, stop, wait, and say, okay, Lord, this is what's coming. This is what's stirring down here. Now, speak to me. And let him speak to the storm. Because it's not all coming from out there. That's a myth. Man, I feel this way because all that's happening and all these people did this and all the world's like that. No, that that's not why you have struggles. It's coming from in here. There's a lack of resolve, a lack of healing, a lack of peace in here, and God wants to get all the way inside and touch all of it. The church of Ephesus in Revelations, the angel of the church of Ephesus was giving a word, and it was that they did all of these things that were perfect and amazing and awesome, but they lost their first love. A church, as a church, had become so busy making their mark that they forgot to carry his mark, which was love. They're busy doing all these things. Song of Solomon. It's a love story. It's really an allegory, too, about Christ and the church and his love for his people. Chapter 2, verse 4, it says, He brought me to the banquet hall. His banner over me was love. 
When God brings you into a place, what he is saying when he brings you in is not, hey, this is Robert, I'm fixing him up. Hey, this is Brandon, I'm getting him straightened out. Hey, this is Silas, man, I, he's got a future. He has a banner over him of love. Not of repair, not of I'm fixing him, not of I'm going to make him better, not of love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and loved us. Well, I'm cleaning up their past. It's been a reclamation project. Like you go to the car show, right? And there's a section over here for the really nice cars, a section over here for the modified cars, and there's a section over here of ones that people are just fixing up still. Right? There's the good one. There's that. God's not sectioning you off as a project person. When he brings you into the banqueting table, when he's talking to the angels, when he's there in the presence of things, he's not looking at it that way. He's looking at everyone with the same view as someone that he died for, someone that he cleansed, that he's changed, that he's justified. And he has a banner right over the top moon that just says, I'm in love with this person. And he's not ashamed of it. So why are you? Why struggle with insecurity and anxiety and shame and guilt and different things as you're in the process of growing and becoming more like Christ? Why not just wear the banner? Well, it doesn't fit very well. That's okay. I don't feel comfortable in it. That's okay. You just got to wear it to be in the banquet hall. But I don't like all the feasting is there. All the joy is there. All the provision is there. You just have to wear the banner. I know, but I don't really identify as being loved. and I don't really want to wear it. It's hard for me to do. To enter into the banquet hall, to be in the place that God has for you, you have to be able to say, Lord, I take this on. You love me. Somebody say, why are you here? Why do you deserve that? Why are things going good for you? He loves me. I don't have another reason. There isn't another reason why it's going well. There isn't another reason why I'm out of addiction. There isn't another reason why our church is growing. There isn't another reason why I've got a great family and great kids and why I have a wife who loves me and stuck with me through hard times. There isn't a, another reason why you are where you are and why God has brought you so far. Well, yeah, but I'm trying really hard. Didn't you try hard before? You tried hard before you came into a relationship with God. The thing that significantly changed is that he loves you. He started walking with you and taking care of you and helping you. Why? You deserve it? No. Because you're worthy? No. This is the God of the cosmos. Do you understand what we are to him? We are so teeny. So tiny. How could we have value? He could make another one. 
He could make another me with upgrades. Hair. Taller. More hair, less pecs. He could change me. All of your inefficiencies, all of your weaknesses, all of your failures, all of the stuff you struggle with, God could make another you better. This is true. Science is starting to get to where just as humans, we can get in and mess with DNA enough that I can, we can determine eye color, gender, we can determine different things. The God who made all of that could literally say, Do you know what, I really like this person, but eh, they kind of, this was kind of a disappointment in this area. I'm going to make another one. There they are. Then you show up at Target, you look across the aisle, and there's a you. <laughs> with hair. Hey, my gosh. Wow, you look amazing. God could do that without all of your insecurities and fears and all the challenges in your life. He could make a perfect version of you. But he hasn't done it. He's still in relationship with you. He's still walking it out with you. He's still growing with you. He's still standing by you. He's still, why? Because he loves you. Because he cares about you. Because he wants you. Not just because you go to church, not just because you give money, not just because you serve in one of the ministries, not just because you're doing something that pleases him, because he loved you while you were yet a sinner. He loved you when you still had problems and you still do. So there's a point where we can come to to rest. So what are you afraid of? Not fitting in, being alone, disappointing someone, failing as a parent, losing your marriage, not having enough money. This is a long list, but boy, it's short. People come up with all kinds of things to be anxious about afraid about, restless about. Romans 8, 28 to 39. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Foreknew means he knew ahead of time. Think about this. God knew you. God knew your problems. God knew your issues. God knew your struggles. And you might say, yeah, I know, but I gave my life to Jesus this time, and then this happened, and then I, I blew it, and I fell short, and I did Oh, now he's probably going to leave me. He knew before you did that that you were going to do that. He already knew. And he chose anyway. He already knew. And he still wanted you. He's going to conform us to the image of his son. He's going to make us more like Jesus, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and that those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified. How much time do you spend justifying yourself against someone else? It's okay for me to be here. It's okay for me to exist. I'm not as bad as them. I'm not all these justifications that we do, but he's already justified us. It's already done. And he also glorified We glorify God, but God glorifies us. He says, that's my kid. They're part of my family. I love them. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This should be such a powerful verse. The problem, I think, is that we use it too religiously. We use it too much just about big issues, right? Oh, we're believing for this. Man, if God's for us, who can be against the church? 
But he's writing this verse in the context of this passage about individuals. If God is for you, who can be against you? Like, who can really come against you and win if God is for you? And it's not a question of if he is. It's a rhetorical question. It's meaning God's for you. What are you concerned about, worried about, thinking about? What stress are you wearing? Like the ladies did at the ladies' retreat, these labels that get put on them and that they put on themselves. What label? Like, who put this label on you because I already put a banner on you? And why are you letting it be there? Kira always tries to dress me when she dresses herself. I spent part of the weekend with my two-and-a-half-year-old stickers all over my arm. And then she tries to color on me. That's her mark. Now, if I try to take it off or put a shirt on that covers it or change it up, there's a problem. Because she wants her mark to be seen. God has a problem with us putting other marks over the top of his mark. The only truth that you should be listening to is the truth of God's word. And the truth of God's word is that he's for you. He's not against you. That he loves you. That his banner over you is love. Whatever else is stuck on by others or by yourself, it's time to take it off. Because if we can't get this first commandment right, if we can't get this one about love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, if we can't get that right, how can we even hope to get the second one right, which is to love our neighbors ourselves? I can't even get comfortable in God's love. I can't even get comfortable being here. I can't even get comfortable under this banner and at his banquet hall. I can't get comfortable here, so I'm not really excited about inviting other people because I'm still, I don't even think I belong. You ever go to a party where you're not sure that you really should have been invited? And you go there and you show up and you're like, I'm not sure if they really wanted me here. Like, do they know I'm coming? Like, I didn't get an actual invitation. No, no, they said I could invite anybody. But when they said you could invite anybody, did you tell them anybody might be me? (gasps) Like, do they know I'm going to be there? Anybody ever been to a party like that or just me? I've been to a few like that. I'll just tell you, teenagers don't like you showing up at their own birthday party when you're the dad. (laughs) But anybody can come. Okay. But you feel that way. Well, if that's you feeling like I shouldn't even be here, are you going to go invite someone else to come with you? Hey, I'm going to this party and I'm not sure that I'm really supposed to be there or that they really want me there and I'm really... Why don't you go too? Not really, because you already feel awkward enough. You're just hoping to sneak in. Our ability to get comfortable in our invitation to God's banquet determines how comfortable and passionate we are about inviting other people to join us. That's why it's so important that we get this in our heart. That God does love us, cares for us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God gave his own son for us. Now listen to the second part of this verse. How will he not also along with him graciously give us what? All things. I don't know if I'll be able to pay my bills. All things. He's going to take care of you. I don't know if, I don't know if he's going to give me what I need to be a parent. All things. He's going to take care of you. I don't know if he's going to give me what I need in order to make a difference in the people's lives around me. All things. I don't know if I can get through this depression and this grief. He's going to give you all things things. All that you need to get through. 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He's just trying to make a little bit of a list here. There could be more things like who can separate us from his love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love bears one another's burdens. Who can separate us from God's kindness, his patience, his willingness to bear the burdens of our heart and our soul and our mind? Who can separate us from this affection of God to be actively engaged in our lives, bringing about his goodness? None of these things can. Do you think that one or two of your mistakes or issues or hangups or problems or issues is going to be the thing that finally just does it? It's talking about a love that's committed to walking you through the process of growing, maturing, becoming more like Jesus. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. They're going through hard times. But know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As believers, we have got to get ourselves so rooted, not just in the idea of church and in the idea of God and idea of rules and the idea of all these things, but rooted in this concept that God loves me. He already labeled me. This is who I am. And that is when you're a place to be rooted where everything else begins to grow out of, a heart to serve, the freedom to take risks. Why? I can take risks. Why? Because if I risk loving you and you reject me, I'm already rooted in a love so strong that it can't be shaken or separated. I already have love coming in my life. But I can take a risk and love you. I can take a risk and give to your need and help you. Why? Because God loves me and he's already said I don't have to worry about what I'll eat or what I'll drink or what I'll wear. So I don't have to always be worried about that. Why? I can help you because I'm rooted in God's love and I know that he loves me. Broke, poverty, I've got this label. No, I don't have that label. His banner over me is love and his love includes provision. I love my kids. We have food. They're welcome to eat it. I love you. Don't touch my fridge. It doesn't work like that. It's my money. You can't spend it. It doesn't even work like that. You think you're a good parent. God's a better parent. God has all that we need. And to end on this, love quits striving and stressing because it's rooted in the truth of what the death and resurrection of Jesus was all about. It was not just about forgiveness of sins. It was not just about a ticket to heaven. But the Bible says it was about reconciliation to God. He so loved the world that he gave his son. It was reconciliation into a relationship of love. 
that is what it was. And when we're rooted in that, we can let the world around us stop. We can turn off the noise. We can sit. And whatever wave of emotions or thoughts come, we can hold for a second, let it pass. And then just begin to listen to God, reassure our hearts and strengthen us. And those who wait upon the Lord, the Bible says, he will renew their strength. It's the way to live in strength instead of perpetual exhaustion and striving. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I just pray, God, as this word, Lord, uh, has gone out today, I pray, God, that it would fall on good ground. Lord, I know we've talked a lot about love, Lord, and God, help us to understand, Lord, even as Paul prayed, God, that we would understand, God, the depth and the width and the height and the breadth. God, help it to not just get in our head, but in our hearts. Lord, help it to bring some change, Lord, to the way that we experience life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, one last thing, this last slide. Um, this is from uh, Mandela back here. Uh, so this is going to be, if you scan this, I'm also going to post it on all of our pages. Uh, but uh, Mandela put in Daruji, put in a bunch of time recording all the Bible verses on God's love to a spoken word style with music in the background at a professional studio. If you don't know, he's got some great music out and everything else. It's awesome and fantastic. You can look him up. He's on iTunes, Spotify, like everywhere. Uh, great music. But he's sitting in the back back here, and he recorded. It's, it's 23 minutes straight of nothing but verses on God's love. Soak in that. Soak in that. Turn it on every day and soak in it until it gets so deep and so rooted in your heart that when everything goes quiet, you're able to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, because that's what's flowing out, because you've packed it so far in. Amen? All right, guys. Um, oh, one last thing. Let me hand me that bag. Uh, if you're, a new, if you're uh, newer to the church in the last couple of weeks uh, or so, or you haven't gotten connected yet, um, we do have these cool, uh, awesome swag bags out here now that we're starting to make. And uh, there's some candy in here. There's a water bottle in here. There's some stuff in here. There's no contact card to fill out. Uh, but there is ways for you to contact us about different things if you're interested in getting involved. So everyone else, you guys are welcome to go over. There's some snacks and drinks and stuff over there. Thanks for being here. If you're new, I'd love to get to know you. You can just meet me at the table over here. And I'll give you one of these bags and see if there's anything I can pray for you about. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.